1: The American people have a right to have a say in who the Supreme Court nominee is. And that say occurs when they vote for a United States senators and when they vote for the president of the United States. They're not going to get that chance now because we're in the middle of an election already. The election has already started. As if the 2020
0: presidential campaign wasn't already tense enough, we now have a high-profile Supreme Court confirmation fight playing out in the Senate. Asked about the Supreme Court at Tuesday night's presidential debate, I guess we can continue to call what happened in Cleveland Tuesday night technically a debate. President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden acknowledged that there is a lot at stake.
1: I will tell you very simply, we won the election. Elections have consequences. We have the Senate. We have the White House. And we have a phenomenal nominee, respected by all. And uh, we just, uh, we won the election, and therefore we have the right to choose her, and very few people knowingly would say otherwise. Trump's
0: nominee to replace the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Appeals Court Judge Amy Coney Barrett, is already meeting with senators on Capitol Hill, and Republicans in charge of the proceedings are aiming to confirm her before Election Day. And because it is 2020, things will look and play out very differently during the confirmation debate than what we've seen before. Joining us on Political Theater are CQ Roll Call senior writer Todd Ruger, who covers the judiciary and legal affairs, and staff writer Catherine Tully McManus, who covers congressional leaders and was witness to the beginning of what promises to be a short, strange trip for the Senate and Amy Coney Barrett. KTM, Todd, welcome to Political Theater. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start with you, Catherine. We had a short week. It was the Yom Kippur holiday on Monday, so nobody was up on the Hill that day. Um, so things didn't get started until Tuesday. And then the, uh, the nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, she uh, made her way to Capitol Hill. She met with several Republicans. Let's talk a little bit about how these things normally go, just real quickly, and how different things are uh, here in the age of covid
1: this is a traditional part of the pre-hearing process for nominees to the Supreme Court, where they go around Capitol Hill, usually meeting individually, senator by senator. Uh, not all of them, but they'll meet with a fair number uh, to less court their vote and more to just get some Facetime. Usually there's a photo op. In previous iterations I have thought it looked very much like a trick or treating scenario uh, because they are going uh, office to office, zigzagging throughout the office buildings, being welcomed with fanfare by the uh, senators and their staff. Um, But it is really different this year. Because of COVID, the Judiciary Committee made the choice to instead of have Judge Barrett make that trek from office to office, She was given basically a home base in the Mansfield room in the Senate, which is right off the Senate floor. It's a a really storied space that a lot of important things have happened in, and that is hers basically for this week. Um, And senators who have appointments with her are making their way to meet her there. She does not have a traditional veteran, former politician to guide her through this process as many previous. Nominees have had
0: the Sherpa; they are called. They are, they are quite literally called the Sherpa after the Himalayan guides uh, in the uh, who who take people on on treks uh, in Nepal and so forth.
1: Yeah, and and the the connection is is that a confirmation process is a mountain to climb, um, and you are going to enter territory and terrain that. You as a justice or as a judge or as a lawyer may not have ever uh tread before because the Senate is a very unique place with uh you know tradition and procedure that are a mystery to most Americans. Uh no disrespect to judges. (laughs) They might not know how it works. Um, but Amy Cohen Barrett is not going in blind. Uh, she instead of having a Sherpa. Like a former senator who knows all, everyone in the Senate and can make that glad handing introduction, she instead has a White House team leading her. Some of the most trusted people in Trump's inner circle, including Mark Meadows, uh, Mark Short, and others, um, they are coming together to guide her through this process um, and kind of send the signal that this isn't about drumming up support or relationship building. That this needs to be a done deal. It needs to be a done deal fast.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. One of the things that you know, when when we were working on your story uh, about covering this first day, because you know these these dog and pony shows, we've seen them a lot. You know, the the as you said, they're they're fun in their own way. Like the you know, I, I love the trick or treating uh, you know metaphor. Um, you know, and, but it is it is very different. Uh, they they want this done fast. They did not reach out to anybody like John John Kyle, the former Republican senator from Arizona. He was uh, guiding Brett Kavanaugh in the process uh, two years ago. Neil Gorsuch had Kelly Ayotte, the Republican uh, senator from New Hampshire. So um, it, it that's that's done with. They're just like, hey, we're we only have a, a little bit of time before the election. We want to get this done. I mean, Mike Pence is uh, technically, you know, he presides over the Senate. So I mean, that's not a that's no slouch as a guide. But it, you're right, it is a. Uh, it is a small group, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, Mark Short, who's Pence's chief of staff, and Pat Cipollone, who everybody will remember from impeachment. Remember that?
1: <laughs> I did have a little flashback watching him walk into the Senate yesterday uh, up those steps. Um, I, I did. My stomach kind of dropped like I was heading back into impeachment. Right.
0: And so, Todd, we're looking at uh, you know October 12th as the beginning, the week of October 12th is the beginning of the Judiciary Committee's hearings. Um, But before that happens, on Monday, October fifth, the first Monday in October, what are we? What will we be seeing here in America?
2: (laughs) Well, as the as the old Walter Matthau movie, "The First Monday in October," (laughs) uh, tells us that that's the day that the Supreme Court starts its new term every year. Uh, That term goes from the first Monday in October to the last, generally the last day in June. Uh, and they hear a slate of cases. They've already filled up, um, you know, the first three months of cases. They're going to hear uh, the uh, some of that is they're still dealing with the effects of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, the first month of cases is just going to be some uh, low key, pretty low key cases that were <laughs> originally scheduled in March and April last year, and then pushed off because they just had to first of all postpone. Arguments Because they closed down the courthouse and then they they needed to do the more important and urgent cases uh, in the last month of the of the last term. So they kicked off. uh, They kick off with um, like a water dispute about the Pecos River and something about the partisan makeup of Delaware's state courts. So not not the high powered kind of cases that we saw last term at the Supreme Court.
0: Well, Todd, being a Westerner, you know that uh, when it comes to the Pecos River uh, and water rights in general, water uh, water is for fighting and whiskey is for drinking, uh, as as we would say out west.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So it's important to somebody. (laughs) Well, absolutely. Like all these cases are important to somebody, um, but there are some that are more important here in Washington D.C. than others. For that's example, a great
0: that's a great segue, Todd. Let's you. talk about uh, yes. more than the Pecos River. <laughs> what else do we have coming up on the Supreme Court docket?
2: <laughs> well, there there's two cases that are really sort of loaded politically. The first one is the uh, challenge to the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, the 2010 Health Care Law that has been upheld at the Supreme Court several times, but now you have the Trump administration and a coalition of Republican states that are arguing uh, in a particular case that the whole thing should, once again, arguing that the whole thing should be taken down. Um, they have picked out uh, a certain part of it, the uh, requirement, the mandate to buy insurance. Uh, in 2017, the Congress used a tax law to zero out the penalty for not having insurance. And the Republican states filed a challenge that said, uh, because of that, the mandate, which was upheld as a tax... If the tax is zero, then the mandate is unconstitutional. It's telling people to uh, to do something, but um, not taxing them if there's a problem with it. And they say that, that that individual mandate back in 2010 when they passed the law was was known as such an integral part of the law uh, that the law would not work unless everybody in the country had insurance. So they say that it's such an integral part of the law still that the entire law must fall if this one part is unconstitutional. And there's, uh, on the other side is is the House, first of all, but uh, also a bunch of legal scholars who say that's just not the way that it works, that's not the way the Supreme Court does things, uh, that there's an issue called severability, which means that there's a majority of justices who probably will say, even if this individual mandate part of the law is unconstitutional, the rest of the law can stand. But With a new justice, uh, if it's Justice Amy Coney Barrett, this is going to be heard on November 10th. If she's on the bench by then, every court's a new court, so you never know. And this is the big issue right now that's going to happen over the next two weeks. It's going to be a huge part of the confirmation debate, uh, the future of the the healthcare law uh, as it is at the Supreme Court.
0: Yeah, and and you know, of note in this uh, previous ruling that you referred to, where the you know the 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 law was upheld as constitutional because the mandate was considered a tax. Uh, that, that decision came down in 2012. It was a 5 4 decision, Chief Justice John Roberts. Uh, was the, the deciding vote at that point, point. and so in general, the the makeup of the court didn't change from what we would expect. Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh have come on the court since then, uh, but they replaced justices who were who were dissenting uh, in in the case. But Barrett has the potential, you know, to to change the the dynamics in that. So that's 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 one uh, big big thing that we'll be looking for. And we don't know at this point uh, what the schedule is for confirmation. But Republicans certainly, the president wants uh, Barrett confirmed before the election. And then like let's talk about also one other big case coming up in December uh wh- which concerns uh, a House lawsuit.
2: Uh yeah, it's the House Judiciary Committee's effort to try to get the full Mueller report, specifically the grand jury materials that were behind uh Robert S. Mueller's special counsel report into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. The the Judiciary Committee is specifically interested in the Parts about Donald Trump uh, and and whether he violated the law, uh, criminal law, obstruction of justice what, during this investigation. And um, what's interesting about the December third date that's scheduled for that is this is a this is a really treacherous time for the Supreme Court uh, politically. They the legitimacy could be at stake if there appear to be too partisan. Uh, they went through this with uh, Justice Kavanaugh when he was confirmed two years ago. And uh they sort of took it easy that term they they avoided some of the more contentious cases that where they could split five four. and this is one where uh one month after the the arguments there be, the Congress will cease to exist. there'll be a new Congress uh, and then two months after that, there might be a new administration. and on top of that, the whole idea of the impeachment, which you mentioned earlier um, is, is sort of. In the past, right? Uh, they, they're they still doing this, looking for this information in, in the context of whether the president committed a crime and whether he should be impeached. But that's in the past. So what you're looking at is potentially uh, a Supreme Court that hears arguments on this case and then says, well, you know, uh, we haven't decided in two months and there's a new president and there's a new Congress. So maybe there's some way they can boot it back, you know, sweep it away and say, oh, the new Congress needs to do this uh, request now or um, it doesn't matter now; it's moot. Uh, so that's that's the that's the second hot political hot potato they have. But they've got some options there to to
0: avoid it. So, Catherine, let's talk a little bit about um, you know what we can expect to see in the coming weeks uh, with Judge Barrett. She's a Circuit Court Judge on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals in in Indiana. She's been through the the confirmation process somewhat recently. Back in 2017, she was confirmed to her current appellate court uh, um, job. And before that, she was a Notre Dame law professor. So she's got, uh, she's been through a confirmation process, you know, fairly recently, but you know, Everything we were kind of expecting there to be some changes, regardless. Uh, before the pandemic, kind of changed all of our lives, um, just because of what how crazy the Kavanaugh situation got. There were security concerns, protests. Uh, Capitol police were were not, uh, you know, particularly <laughs> uh, pleased with like how things played out for them. Let's let's talk about you know what we might see uh, in in this sort of extraordinary time for a, a confirmation to take place.
1: Yeah, it is going to be really different. Is my expectation? Um, I believe that the plan is to, you know, hold the hearings. Uh, but unlike the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, where there were hundreds of protesters uh, in the heart Senate Office Building, filling the atrium, uh, chanting or doing silent protests or outside of individual member offices in any of the Senate office buildings where, I mean, 80, 100, 150 people being arrested throughout the week uh, for protesting, for uh, blocking the hallways of the Senate, which is a, a crime, apparently. I do not anticipate seeing that. The office buildings in both the House and Senate, are still under these COVID restrictions, where you really do need to be a member of Congress, a staffer with a congressional ID, or a member of the press to enter without an escort. And although they are public buildings, and um, the American people do have a right to enter those buildings, there are these public health concerns at play, and I do expect that to very much change the dynamic, even if um, you know activists. Feel a similar or even greater sense of urgency, especially on the left, uh, to make their voice heard in opposition about this nomination. Their options are really going to be limited to being outside the buildings, is what I am anticipating. Official restrictions have not yet been laid out, but huge barriers on both sides of the Capitol. The west side for the Eventual inauguration and on the east side, four protests and demonstrations have already been erected with a huge perimeter around the building.
0: Todd, you mentioned that the court is kind of sensitive about being portrayed as a, as a political. Um, you know, entity as opposed to uh, you know, a, a bunch of folks that are that are sort of rendering judgment on the constitutionality of of the law and so forth or, or laws that are passed. But you know, in the uh, the first debate between President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden on Tuesday evening, um, what, what we could make out above the shouting and interrupting and jeering uh, of each, uh, each man over one another uh, when it came to the Supreme Court was uh, is not necessarily going to uh, let the Supreme Court off very easy uh, when, if, if they want to not be seen as political. Uh, is is I mean, ha, have you heard? Uh, I mean, it, it's you know, it was fairly recent. It was just uh, the uh, just last night, but you know, what what's been some of the the chatter about? You know, just how kind of crazy this debate was, and also just that this is this is going to be a political thing.
2: Uh, yeah, you know, the the thing that struck me about the discussion about the Supreme Court, which was one of the fifteen minute segments that were set out in the debate last night was that the Supreme Court lasted all of about two minutes. Uh, <laughs> there was a ton of shouting about it, um, but but really quickly it moved from, uh, you know, the what does Justice Barrett, if she's confirmed, mean for the Supreme Court to the issues that the Supreme Court decides, the Affordable Care Act, uh, abortion, Second Amendment gun rights. And so I think what that underscores is that the... Um, you know, on Congress, it's been so po- polarized that, n- that neither side can pass the the types of legislation that they want to pass. And so a lot of times that those battles get now get forced into the court. And I think um, one of the things that wasn't answered last night by Vice President Joe Biden, the Democratic nominee, um, was whether he would uh, agree with some people on the left that if Justice Barrett is confirmed, the Supreme Court needs to pack the court or add more justices. Uh, to even out what they perceive as uh, an injustice for how the how the Trump was able to get appointees on the court, um, he says, "I don't want to get into that debate because that's all we're going to talk about if I come down a, with a position on that." Well, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see in the future if if a uh, if a abortion uh, Roe v Wade the 1973 landmark decision uh, that gave constitutional right to an abortion, uh, if that's either struck down or eroded to the point of of being um, ineffective, then uh, or you see, you know, a Democratic Senate or Congress pass gun legislation that the Supreme Court, a conservative majority in the Supreme Court then strikes down, then you're going to see an amplification of calls uh, for maybe some structural change on the Supreme Court. Uh, so you you know you they've got to tread carefully the Supreme Court on on these big issues and Chief Justice Roberts has traditionally been uh, very conscientious of the court's reputation and and moved slowly there were two cases last term that people point to as indications of that he went across uh, against the Trump administration when it came to uh, an immigration uh, issue for those who came here. Uh, to the country illegally as children or overstayed their visas and and are now here in the country. Uh, he went ac- he went against Louisiana state lawmakers who wanted to restrict abortion access uh, under the guise of a sort of a health law, and so you saw really a kind of a slowdown of the Supreme Court on these major issues. But if there's a Justice Barrett, Chief Justice Roberts might not be in a position to make some of these decisions about how fast or how slow the court moves to the right on some of these. Um, hot button political and social issues.
0: And Catherine, one of the things that is all this stuff, all this debate, all these um, you know, kind of the, the traditions that you see with the confirmation process and the and the kind of predictions of what might happen with the court. This is all happening with an election, uh, you know, just a little over a month away. <laughs> And you have in the Judiciary Committee several people who are on the ballot, either it's people like Lindsey Graham, who's the Judiciary Committee chairman, who is in a tough re-election fight, or Tom Tillis, a uh, North Carolina Republican, who's also in a, in a tough race, or Joni Ernst, who's the only woman in Republican leadership in the Senate. Uh, and then there's Kamala Harris, who's on the on the ballot as Joe Biden's running mate. These, are, these hearings are going to be political.
1: They... Certainly are. Um, Those folks on the Republican side who you mentioned are in uh, either tight races or close races or just significant races for them, um, they all have already made their announcement of support for this nominee. So I don't anticipate us seeing a big pivot from any Republicans at this point to with new information at a hearing changing their mind. Um, What I will warn anyone listening is that Kamala Harris, no matter how blockbuster her questioning is, is very junior on this committee and she's in the minority. So she will not get to ask her first question for a while. Uh, Do not tune in at the first few moments and expect Kamala Harris right out the gate. Um, She did have very. strong aggressive questioning of uh Justice Kavanaugh. And that did bring a lot of attention on her even before she was the vice presidential nominee. Um, that really brought her into the minds of a wider array of Americans. And I expect that people who are either undecided or trying to decide whether Joe Biden is the candidate for them may be looking to see how Kamala Harris uh does in this
0: Well, uh, Catherine, Todd, and to our listeners, uh, I would advise uh, buckling your (laughs) seatbelts for the next few weeks. Uh, It is going to be um, one of those times in American uh, history where we're going to look back and say, like, wow, um, we were there. And and I'm really glad uh, that uh, that you all are there covering it because I get to uh, read your stories and sound smart in front of other people. <laughs> so uh, I I really appreciate uh, the 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 uh, insight you've provided today. And uh, let's uh, you know we, we persevere for for more of it. So thanks much.
2: Right, thanks, Jason.
1: Yeah.